Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. This is Raul Pal, the CEO and co-founder of Real Vision, and welcome to my podcast, Every week, I'm lucky enough to speak to tons of smart and innovative people in the financial game. I get so much insight from these conversations, and that's why I wanted to start this podcast, so I can share that knowledge with you. I hope you learn from the discussions, and you can always find more in-depth content at realvision.com. Enjoy the show. Sam, great to see you on Real Vision again. Thank you. Lots I want to pick your brains on, but I think before we start, we... We probably want to go through a little bit of the mess that's going on now and what your kind of views are on the markets, what's going on, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's been an extremely messy, uh, you know, last month, obviously. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things um, is that this hasn't been just a crypto phenomenon. Like when you look at, at, at what's happening in markets, right, you see similar things happening in tech. You see similar things to some extent happening, you know, all over the ecosystem where I you know, basically you just have a really large, you know, I retrenchment of all of the gains that, you know, have happened over the last, you know, year plus uh, in, in markets. And I, uh, you know, it was sort of triggered by the Fed initially by, you know, the expectation that rates were going to finally really start rising and rising more than people thought. Um, but at this point, I mean, the current we've seen in markets, I think is out of line with what 3% interest rates would normally represent. Yeah, I mean, I looked at this and actually I, I use you know, monetary tightening as in the rate of change of monetary tightening plus commodity prices, plus inflation, all of this stuff and the dollar. I think it's the largest tightening of monetary conditions in all economic history as far as I can find. And it just happened really fast. So yeah, as you said, this is not a crypto event. This is just a liquidity event, and it's happening. I mean, look at the oil market today. Everyone's super bull on oil. Last thing I heard, somebody had a $350 price target. It's down 10% today alone. Yeah, exactly. And right, and it starts to get to the, like, wait, shit, is it that everything is down because we need to spend all our money on oil, or is oil down because you don't have any money to spend left <laughs> on oil? Like, 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 what's the narrative even anymore? Uh, well, I think it's a combination of the two, right? Because what you've done is created demand destruction, yeah. But what's interesting to me is I think we're just shifting between um, what was inflation fears to now is what is a growth collapse. And for me, that's actually pretty bullish to the longer longer duration assets like tech that got smashed and crypto that got smashed. At least it's less specific. I mean, it, look, everything applies to everything to some extent. But as long as the big fear was really on like inflation and liquidity, that specifically is going to hurt things that had huge capital inflows more than anything else. And it's going to hurt, as you said, longer duration plays relative to like oil and bread. Um, but if it really is just an overall economic event, that will still hurt everything. Um, but 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 the, the spread is going to change there. And I, I also think for what it's worth that like, you know, people often get a little bit interesting to be sort of like sidetracked when thinking about inflation, where, 
you know, it's easy to see, you know, the dollar, you know, inflation in the dollar. And then you see all these graphs go up and you're like, holy shit, that's like an enormous economic change. And then all of a sudden the Fed starts tightening policy and all the numbers go back down and you're like, holy shit, every day. But to some extent, it's just the stock split in the U.S. dollar, right? Like, like that's like one way to think about this. And, and, and if that's how you think about it, the whole thing's kind of like, a little bit of a sideshow. I, I don't want to like over, you know, sort of like state that point. But 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 then when you start talking about the actual economy, about like, are we producing less shit now? Like that's real bad. And 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 I think that that is also a lot less of like something that hits the financial and financialized sectors, and more of like a, you know, there's just less stuff now. One of the things I've been looking at is I was in the markets. I was at Goldman um, during the long-term capital crisis and the Asian crisis. Right. This is what we saw in crypto was that writ large. It was so similar where there was one or two players who had yep. more leverage than expected amongst a number of counterparties. They all had one big client. That client blows up because of liquidity issues and it takes everybody down. We've seen this rule book. We've seen this play out before, right? Yep. No, absolutely. And there's absolutely something like that going on here where, you know, I, I think you look at the drop down to 30K in Bitcoin as really being just economically driven, like and driven by macro, like that, there isn't, that wasn't very crypto specific. And even the Luna implosion, right? When you actually think about like how much did that affect crypto, the ecosystem outside of Luna, you know, I, I think there's sort of a general sense of like anything whose like future was dependent on like an unpaid stable coin, definitely never decreasing that much in price. Like, it sort of deserved to, 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 to have, like, you know, the ecosystem wasn't pricing in. The, the core ecosystem wasn't pricing in that UST could never depeg. Um, and, and so that, 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 you know, I think was actually somewhat limited in terms of like the contagion effect that it had on the ecosystem. Um, but I think when you just have an overall huge credit crunch, like we've seen, that's a more generalized effect, right? And, and now you're sort of moving from, a world where you're talking about this mostly, you know, as you said, in terms of the, uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of like specifically what is the, um, uh, you know, the effect on like a particular few parts of it to just everyone gets really stressed. Like every business has stress increased on, on a financial perspective. Um, and then, and then you just sort of like add on top of that, um, that like, uh, uh, you know, that there are a few that actually fully blew out, right? And it, and it's a recipe for uh, for contagion because you have not just the, the literal contagion, but 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 you also have um, you know people not not having nearly as much capital to to deal with it as you would during normal times. Yeah, there was an old client of mine used to gave me an expression that stuck in my mind all the way through my career, which was. He who has cash in a recession is king. Yep. Like you, I can see that you've, you know, you, you're in the advantageous situation of having cash in a recession, and it, there's opportunity everywhere because the space is not the dynamics of the space haven't changed in the long run. It's it's a, a short term phenomena that leads to opportunity, I guess. Oh, certainly, there is a lot of dislocation, and there are a lot of you know potentially really good, um, you know plays that, that that one could make here if 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 you had infinite capital backing up you know that and of course no one has infinite capital backing up anything um but you know there are still good plays if you have like significant but finite amounts of capital and um uh and so i think that 
you know, one of the things we've been thinking about the most here is just like, you know, given everything that's going on, like, what should we be doing? Like, what is, um, where is it most important that we're deploying our capital right now? And what's, what's your answer to that? Yeah. So one piece of this and, and one of the pieces I think has gotten just the most attention um, has been looking at places where um, I where basically you have I like, like, like the sort of plastic place that you want to look at is something that like would be totally fine except for a really nasty short term liquidity crunch. Right. The closer you are to that sort of like ideal, the closer you are to a place where from every perspective, it's that's where cash should be deployed, right? Both from, from the perspective of like, is there a good investment opportunity there? Probably, but more importantly, from the perspective of like, can you bail out some customers, bail out a company um, and, and stop contagion from spreading in a way which is basically permanent, right? Because it's not like a business that had to go under, like this is just like, you know, there was going to be effectively an economically inefficient um, crunch in a business because of short-term conditions. So that sort of is a platonic ideal that we're looking for above everything else. And of course, nothing is a platonic ideal, right? Like everything is actually nuanced. And, you know, everything at the end of the day, um, it, it, it's all shades of gray. And, you know, we understand that. And we're not sort of like looking only at perfect systems. Um, but I, uh, but but that's sort of where we start, you know, and, and then we say, all right, like which places look mostly like that? Like there is like th th this is like, you know, it's not just like a money pit. <laughs> no, it's not a holistic enterprise that's done just for the greater good. Right. And, and, and so I think that like, you know, we, we don't just want to be throwing good money after bad, you know, on some of these things. Um, but if there are cases where we can, you know, uh, where we can actually really, um, you know, either surface, you know, save a, a, a really good business and or where, you know, there's sort of like serious customer protection issues that we can help um, backstop. Um, I, and, and then probably the biggest thing is like contagion that we can actually stop from spreading, right? Not just like bailing out contagion dollar by dollar, right? But like stopping a bunch of contagion with a smaller capital outlay because it stops like the whole process from having to unwind. Those, I think, are the places that like we are most looking. Yeah, and you know, distressed investing itself is a very interesting opportunistic, you know, opportunity in itself. And then being able to accelerate your roadmap by doing it is the double whammy, right? It's a perfect state where you can stop contagion spreading because you're the distressed investor, or you know, there's a whole bunch of people who are, and then you get to accelerate the roadmap. Okay, that's that's a great opportunity. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And that's, you know, again, nothing is a platonic ideal, but like, you know, the things that, that look at least the most like that are the places that we're most looking at. And, and, you know, the places that most look like there's a gigantic hole that's going to be hard to plug and there's nothing there left beyond that hole, like that, that's all that's left are the places where, you know, we feel more like there's, it's not clear what, what there's left to do here. Like it's sort of, it's, it's a shitty situation but like this is but like it's not clear it's a salvageably shitty one um and so you know i i think that sort of is is the core uh you know the core sort of uh you know split there and what do you think went wrong with cfi that, that you know that's the blow up of this cycle you know i've been in this space since 2013 you've been around for a long time there's always something why why cfi what what did it not get right this time around that it can learn from next time around 
yeah, and, and and maybe just to like put a point on something that you're sort of pointing at there, it's interesting. It was CFI, not DeFi, Correct. that blew up here. Like for all the sort of fear that you hear about about DeFi, DeFi actually was not where the contagion was 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 coming from right now. Like this was CFI spread, and and so you know what do I think happened? Um, I think basically like I I it's I mean. Look, you see the same story again and again, right? And you talk about long term, but and and then that that's that is pointing at sort of what happened, which is and it's almost pointing directly at the difference in CFI and DeFi, which is in DeFi it's all on chain, right? You know exactly what's happening, and you can watch it happen in real time. And 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 maybe one point to make about the Luna collapse is by the time it was really happening, no one was surprised at all because you could see it happening in real time with full transparency on chain, right? And, and so everyone knew how big the collapse was going to be were it to ever happen. Um, everyone knew, in theory, under what conditions it might happen. Like, like there's sort of actually a remarkable amount of transparency around the whole thing, right? When you look at some of these CFI companies that were blowing up, um, I there is no transparency around you know, any of it. There's no way really to know what was going to happen until it was too late. And, and, you know, by the time we got to a place where the world started to realize um, where Celsius was, um, I, the time to act was a year earlier. And, um, I, and, 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 and then, like, how much contagion is there, right? How much have people rehypothecated between each other? No one knows, right? And it's, again, you look at the, for, for like, one of the cool things about DeFi is that it's actually extremely transparent. Like there's just like a clear answer. So like how much rehypothecation has there been? You can look at it on chain, right? In, in, in C5, the answer is, I don't know, some amount, maybe a lot, maybe not for, who knows, right? It could be anything. And, and, and when you end up in that world, right? It's, and I don't want to say there are no advantages, like there, there are really powerful things you can do in that world. But, you know, you're, there's a little bit of a playing with fire mechanic here where, you know, the worry is that you actually end up, um, I, you know, you, you effectively end up um, I, with, I, with like way more leverage than you thought you had and way not enough time or, 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 or space left to clean it up when the time comes. Yeah, I, it just reminds me, you know, I was back in the summer of 98, I was on a stag weekend in Ireland and a bunch of friends were in financial markets. And the usual question comes, who's your biggest customer? Right. And I, I'm like, who's your biggest customer to a friend of mine at Salomon Brothers? He goes, long term capital. He was in equity derivatives. Then I asked the next guy who was at JP Morgan, who's your biggest customer? Long term capital. I'm like, how much have you got? He's got, I've got like three or four billion. The other guys had three billion. And I was at, I'd come from NatWest at the time, moving to Goldman. And I think I'd probably done, six billion or eight billion dollars and we're starting to add up and the numbers are big and then the friend of mine was the head of bun trading at deutsche bank i said how much have you got with them he said 100 billion i went we're all fucked so i went back in spoke to the risk manager on monday with a hangover and said we've got to get out of this and it's exactly the same situation is one customer was too large a part of that whole kind of risk rb ecosystem yeah. All the prime brokers had lent massive amounts because they were long-term capital. And before you know it, everything's been rehypothecated and nobody knows who owns what. Yep. 
Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And 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 that's absolutely, you know, a reflection of what we're seeing uh, you know, today in in CFI markets where yeah, the, things were were basically too far gone before people even realized they were gone at all. Um and uh uh and 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 so, you know, now we're left sort of cleaning up, you know, from what happened there. What I'm getting really interested in is and I've been talking about this for a while is we haven't had, unless you're really in the middle of the space, there's not an understanding of risk yet, right? Because we don't have a risk-free rate. Yep. And it's coming. And it's the ETH staking yield. I think I don't think people understand how big this is. I've just been writing an article about it. ETH staking alone is obviously the, you know, the, the triple halving and whatever, right? There's, it's very interesting dynamic around it. But I think the single most interesting thing is it's going to give us like the treasury yield for Web3. Yep. Of which we can then price everything as spreads against it. So therefore, you're getting, you know, ETH staking yield plus for a CFI protocol or for a DeFi protocol. And that is then we can then people can understand risk pricing a lot better, I think. That's a really interesting point. And I think it's sort of like correct. And I think like one thing that I would just like add on to that is in terms of like what is the risk free rate? I think that the risk-free rate was treated to be a pretty amorphous number for Correct. a long time in crypto, where it's like, is it zero? It obviously wasn't zero. And in fact, sometimes it's like 20%. Like sort of like sometimes it's bizarrely big and sometimes bizarrely tiny. And it like it's all over the place. And a lot of this depended on capital crunches in the ecosystem. Um, but there's honestly like often big herbs between different like approximations of the risk-free rate in crypto, where some some sources were effectively pricing it way cheaper than other sources were. Um, but I think very few of these sources were thinking very carefully about what you know the risk-free rate really was. I think I think you know there is a lot of speculation here, and um, I, I think some people got out ahead of themselves on it. Um, and of course, what risk-free means is also not necessarily super well understood. And, you know, one thing that I think is worth talking about is like risk-free for what duration? Like, you know, we saw when you look at at, at ETH, for instance, at ETH2, like one thing which I think has become sort of like apparent is that like the risk-free overnight rate might be way like different than the risk-free annual rate if you have to lock up that rate for a year, Correct. because in a liquidity crunch, you can't get that out. And there isn't, these aren't treasuries that you can like easily fund with each other right now. Um, and there isn't this enough liquidity in the system to be able to cheaply sell out. And you saw what happened to staked ether when Celsius started coming under pressure. It's kind of like swap spreads. It, it, it works. Yeah. It worked effectively, I thought, which was the liquidity yep. risk needed to be priced in and snake teeth was the only place to get liquidity. Yep, it, it was. And I, but I think one interesting thing is that like the amount of impact that that I think um, was had in staked ETH, I, I think it was a lot bigger than people thought it would be. And, and and you know if you just look at like a graph of staked ETH versus ETH over time, um, I claim that this does not look like an efficient market graph, and that instead what it looks like is a graph where for a year, everyone assumed stake ETH was exactly one ETH, you know, plus or minus 10 bips or something. And then all of a sudden, on the same day, everyone realizes 
that like the number might not be zero for the discount. Like the everyone realizes that like, you know, there I I that that it doesn't need to be pegged. The peg breaks, and in a matter of a day, it drops two percent, and then a week later, it drops another two percent in a day. And so I think that that was part of what was going on too. Don't forget that was again without belaboring the same point. That's exactly what blew up long term capital was swap spreads. They always had the swap spread tightener on because they said they're basically fungible. The thing they didn't price was liquidity. Exactly. <laughs> it was totally fungible to some amount, but it was not fungible to the amount of size in particular that they had put on. <laughs> exactly right. So it was the liquidity is what everybody mispriced. But but yes, but I am getting really interested to see what unlock comes from ETH2. Because I even looked at like how the, how does the market price Solana staking yields versus potential ETH staking yield? And it's it, it looks roughly rightly priced because you would basically say, okay, Solana is a battle-tested protocol, but it has more volatility, and therefore the yield should be slightly higher. Yep, yep. Works perfectly. It's like, okay, I think this is going to be a big unlock for people. I think that's right, and I think that like, this sort of gets to another interesting point, which is like, which things have markets? And, and, and there have been a lot of cases in crypto where there's been a weird assumption that there isn't a market for something. And people haven't made this explicit sometimes, right? But when you talk about locked assets, like often there's an assumption there that the assets are locked and without a marketplace and thus not sellable or fungible in any way and treating them as a delta rather than as an interest rate. Um, and I think that we're starting to see with SDE and, and other things, that assumption um, get loosened. You're obviously looking at the equity market and the traditional financial markets. What's your what's your thought there? And obviously, my guess is part of that is that's going to get tokenized too. So talk me through that whole, your thesis there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the place that I would start is why tokenize it, right? Like that, that's, that, that always has to be some of the basis of this, right? My first thought about this, the moment I saw Bitcoin in 2013, I thought, Every, all of these securities industries going on the blockchain, it has to. I totally agree. And I think I think is one of the more underappreciated things. And one of the biggest opportunities. I, I agree. And so why do it? Well, let's look at what happened with GameStop during the Robinhood incident. Um, like, why was it that buying was shut off on GameStop? And I think leverage is the obvious intuitive answer, and it does not turn out to be correct. But 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 that feels very much like it was a like margin call. And it was a margin call, but it was in fully collateralized margin call. And that's a weird fact, right? Like all of a sudden, with a number of brokers in the space at once, it was deemed that um, they could not buy or their customers could not buy any more um, GameStop stock than they already had because they didn't have enough margin to do so. And I think there's an obvious question here, which is what the fuck? Like these are fully collateralized trades. Why do you need margin? Like a customer is handing $100 by $100 of stock. Like where's the collateral or margin or leverage or like where, where is this all coming from? And the answer is that, well, what's it mean to buy a stock? What does it mean to say Bob opens up his app and buys $100 of stock 
does he have the stock now? Does he own it? Is it his? It's not actually a well-defined question. There isn't, in general, a well-defined answer to the notion or the, you know, sort of definition of the notion of buying a stock, which is or of, of owning a stock or having been delivered a stock or settled a stock. And what was actually happening was that you know the customer clicked the buy Apple button and they got a confirm saying, congrats, you've bought it. But on the back end, there were five different parties involved, right? There's the mobile app, there's the PFAW firm, there's an equities clearing firm, there's a DTCC. And each one of these is playing their own role. And there's just all these like contractual agreements between them that like settlement will happen in a few days in some complicated way that no one fully understands. Um, and, you know, there's risk in that. Like there's a, the chance that that settlement will not actually happen as anticipated. And because of that, everyone in the system needs to be way over collateralized, you know, out of this like, you know, fear that settlement does not happen in the way that it should happen. But but yeah, basically, like, you know, there was no real leverage net in this system. But because of settlement risks between different counterparties here and settlement uncertainties and the lack of a clear definition of what it means even to have settled a dollar, really, right, like for two months, you could have like chargebacks, right? Despite the fact that it seems like everything is over collateralized here, um, there were margin calls because, you know, the risk frameworks had to build in settlement failure as a key risk. And that is a massive economic inefficiency. It's one of the core reasons that um, I, that, that like when you look at uh, what market structure looks like from a retail perspective, it's totally fucked up is because they're going through so many intermediaries and every single one of those is increasing settlement risk um, and is is making it messier and messier and harder and harder to determine what's even happening. Um, and so, you know, that is a, I think a massive, massive opportunity to unwind a lot of those, you know, probably unfortunate decisions that had to be made because of market structure. And, and and in crypto, you don't have any of these problems because in crypto, the answer is, what does it mean to have settled? You've sent the token on the blockchain, right? A customer goes to buy Apple stock, tokenized Apple stock, right? That stock moves two seconds later on the blockchain. It's finalized and, and there's no settlement risk anymore. It's, it has settled, right? And you do the same with the stablecoin in the other direction. And all of a sudden, right, you can have direct equitable market access for all participants in a way we haven't seen before. And you can do this without needing over collateralization everywhere because you've gotten rid of the settlement risk. And, and that's why crypto market structure, I think in many ways just looks a lot cleaner than equities market structure. So final question, um, where do you think we are in this bear market now? I think that we're, I think the way I would phrase it is, I don't see any particular reasons that we couldn't be at the bottom. And I'm not trying to say that we definitely are at the bottom, but like, I think the unwinding that had to happen has happened. And I think that like, if you saw a bit of a reversal in like risk asset pricing in general right now, I think crypto just go along with that. And, and I think that like, there's nothing that is theoretically stopping tomorrow from being the day that the recovery starts in earnest. No, of course, that's assuming that for some reason, good things will happen tomorrow, right? If instead tomorrow, bad things happen, then things will go down more. And so I'm not even sure I'm making an asymmetric statement right now between upside and downside. I think I'm almost just trying to not make an asymmetric statement and just saying like, 
I don't see a particular reason that it needs to be downside weighted right now, short term. Like, I think it could go either way. And I think that, like, you know, I don't know that we're waiting for the other, other shoe to drop right now. I think the shoes have dropped. And, uh, and you know, we're sort of in a, like, well, let's see what happens with the world type situation. But, you know, I don't, I don't feel totally confident. And obviously not financial advice. No, and I, you know, I, I share the same view. I just think the macro has probably changed and we've gone from inflation fears to growth fears and growth fears is probably at the margin more bullish. Now, whether we go lower and some more, you know, excess liquidation comes out from just general market fears, sure. But generally speaking, I, I'm the same. I feel like the leverage is out. The big event has happened. Yep. We have usually some instability before we can get some stability and the macro backdrop is changing feels in the right zone yeah i totally agree sam look fantastic to chat to lots of really interesting stuff um let, let's see how this all plays out absolutely my most surprising takeaway was the depth and breadth of sam's understanding of the securities industry obviously his background is that but just at the opportunities, the sheer scale of it, of what he wants to attack, it's breathtaking. I think Sam is one of the few people that I've come across in the space who understands what it takes to really change the world in crypto. And that's not from the kind of philosophical. It's like, what do you need to do? What do you need to tackle to make this be true? And as he said, if the tide is going that way, it's an easier job. You just have to do it. Hi, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, I've got a free membership waiting for you. If you want to understand the future of everything, then understanding digital assets is the key. We're not ever going back to a pre-crypto world. Blockchain technology is transforming everything from communities to healthcare to real estate to, well, just about everything. That's why in 2020, we launched Real Vision Crypto, the world's premier cryptocurrency and digital asset video channel. Right now, Real Vision Crypto is helping more than 220,000 members understand the biggest wealth creation opportunities in a generation and maybe of all time. And Real Vision Crypto is completely free. To get your free membership to Real Vision Crypto, please visit www.realvisioncrypto.com. That's www.realvisioncrypto.com.